Well, I want to welcome you to the last message in our series where we've been talking about prophecy, cliffs, calendars, and crises. And as we've done that, we've looked at the war that Ezekiel describes in chapters 38 and 39 that is yet to take place before the return of Christ. If you missed out on any of those messages, you can go on the web or to our resource center and pick those up. What I want to do in this final message, however, is talk about a different kind of battle. A battle that's not in the future, but a battle that we are all facing and experiencing right now. I'm talking about a spiritual battle, spiritual warfare that is taking place right around us in our culture. In fact, your children, if you have children or grandchildren, experience this in a very intense way, far more than you or I as adults might be experiencing it. And the question is, what do we do about this? How do we deal with this spiritual battle that is being driven by invisible forces? Paul talks about the fact that we are fighting against forces that we cannot see in Ephesians chapter 6. And those invisible forces, those demonic, satanic forces, influence sinful human beings uh, with sinful ideas and actions that are meant to assault God and his truth and morality. How do we deal with that? When it's all around us and we're being bombarded by it constantly, and I would suggest increasingly so in our culture. Well, to answer that question, I would like to invite you at the Hobson and the 95th campus to turn with me to an ancient story found in the book of Second Chronicles. If you're using a chair Bible, that's somewhere around page 368. 368. Second Chronicles, and we're going to be looking at chapter 14. Now, the story is about a king whose name is Asa. And Asa was the great-grandson of Solomon. That makes him the great-great-grandson of King David. So what a heritage. But the glory days of Israel are gone. And now, Israel, well, has been through a civil war and is split into two kingdoms. Ten tribes go to the north, two tribes stay to the south, and Asa is the king of those southern two tribes we call the tribe of Judah. Now, the kingdom of Judah was a little better off than the kingdom of Israel because they had some kings who actually did want to follow and trust God. And Asa happened to be one of those. What's interesting is he inherited his kingdom from his father Abijah, who according to 1 Kings chapter 15 tells us was a man or a king who was not faithful to God. So it's amazing that his son Asa chooses instead to be faithful to God He is trying to lead a small little nation that is filled with sin and evil, sexual sin, idolatry, materialism, kind of all the stuff that we face today. And he determines that he's going to lead a reform. So let's look at his life together and let's discover some principles that I think we can use in our lives and in our families 
and in our community as a church to deal with the culture that's around us. So Second Chronicles, I'm going to look at chapter 14, and let's start at verse 1. When Abijah died, he was buried in the city of David. Then his son Asa became the next king. There was peace in the land for ten years. Asa did what was pleasing and good in the sight of the Lord his God. He removed the foreign altars and the pagan shrines. He smashed the sacred pillars and cut down the Asherah poles. He commanded the people of Judah to seek the Lord, the God of their ancestors, and to obey his law and his commands. Asa also removed the pagan shrines as well as the incense altars from every one of Judah's towns. So Asa's kingdom enjoyed a period of peace. During those peaceful years, he was able to build up the fortified towns throughout Judah. No one tried to make war against him at this time, for the Lord was giving him rest from his enemies. Peace and rest. Those are beautiful words, aren't they? They certainly are not descriptive of our world today, nor of our nation these days. And I'm not wanting to talk this weekend about how we bring peace to our world and rest to our nation. I just want us to think about peace and rest in our own soul. Peace and rest in our family. Peace and rest in our church and in our relationships. Let me ask you a question right now. Do you feel that you are at peace and you are at rest? How about your family? How about your relationships? I think there are a lot of us who would probably confess, wow, I haven't known peace and rest for a long time. And the more intense the culture becomes, the more temptations that are hurled our way, and the more pressure that's put on us, and for those of us who are parents, on our kids and our grandparents, it just seems like peace and rest are fleeting, like like we're never going to have them again. But I want to suggest to you that there are some wonderful principles laid out in this passage of Scripture that can give us a peace of mind in the midst of storms of life, can give us kind of a rest of the soul. That's what we want to look at. So how, how did that happen in Asa's life? Well, I want to suggest a couple of things to you. First of all, Asa did not let the culture shape him. Instead, he changed the culture through his influence. Asa did not allow the culture to shape who he was. Instead, he took his position, his relationship, his influence, and changed the culture around him. Now, you and I may not have the capacity to change America on our own, or even our own community where we live. Now, I think we can have an influence on the country around us. But each of us has a little kingdom that we do rule. And that kingdom is found here. It's in our hearts. And if we are married, have a family, have children, in essence, they're kind of our kingdom as well that we, that we influence and have some degree of control over. Your relationships are places where you can have control and you can have influence. 
And the question is, am I going to allow my surroundings, my environment, my relationships, the people around me, am I going to allow them to change me, to control me, or am I going to be an influence on them? Asa lived in a culture that was filled with idolatry and and sinfulness and immorality. But rather than be like his father and so many of the other kings who just went along with the culture and actually added to it uh, more sin and gave more license to immorality and evil, he decided, no, I'm going to live the right way in this culture. Too often times, as I talk to people, and even in my own life from time to time, it is really easy to play the victim of the culture. You know, I can't help it. This is just the way my culture is. So there's really nothing else for me to watch. So I, I have to watch that kind of stuff. And there's nothing else for me to listen. So I have to listen to that kind of stuff. Or, you know, when I'm out with my friends or I'm out with my coworkers, that's just, that's what they do. That's what they watch. That's what they talk about. That's what they say. That's what they take. And, and I, I can't help it. I, I have to kind of go along with this whole thing as well. It's just, the, it's just the pool I'm swimming in. It's just the bowl that I'm a fish in. And my response to that, to use an overused word, is really? Really? Is that true? That you, that you are a victim? That your mind is being twisted behind your back and, and, and you have no choice in the matter? I totally disagree with that. Yeah, the pressure from the culture might be great, but I don't have to live as a victim of the culture. I am called, we are called as a community of believers together to actually transform our culture. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. I'd like us to uh, say this aloud together. So together, let's, let's uh, speak this word at both campuses. Paul says, And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. In those, that's just so powerful. I think you ought to memorize it. I think you ought to have, if you have kids, I think you ought to encourage them to memorize it. Paul says, don't let the world change the way you think. Instead, use your thoughts to change the world. Because thoughts lead to behavior, and behavior changes the world around us. I want to tell you a story about my wife, Marcia. Um, I have just seen God grow her in so many ways. And I remember years ago, um, if we were in uh, a setting like an amusement park, and I remember this experience uh, being at an amusement park in California, there was a kind of a gang of kids uh, nearby getting ready to go on a ride with us who were using really foul language, dropping the F-bomb and all kinds of stuff. And it really upset my wife, and she wanted me to go over there and tell them to stop, get in their face and tell them they shouldn't use language like that. They were also kind of dropping trash around, and she said, and you ought to tell them to pick up that trash. Well, my kids are with me, and we look at her like she's a crazy woman. 
I am not going to go over there, tell them to pick up their trash and to stop using bad language. Because I can tell you where that's going to go. There are too many of them, and some of them are a little bigger than me, and it's going to end up ugly. Let's just pray for them. Well, she kept insisting and insisting, and then eventually said, well, I'll go over and do that. And I remember the kids, we had to kind of restrain her and pull her back and just challenge her with, I'm not sure how redemptive that would be. Well, as many of you know, uh, Marsha is a skydiver. She has, I think, almost nearly 300 jumps under her belt. And where she goes to uh, skydive, I tell you what, it's like a biker's club, except they just jump out of airplanes. There are tattoos. They are drinking. They are cussing. They live immoral lifestyles. And I have been absolutely amazed at how Marsha has dealt with that, given where she was before. Her whole perspective toward them has changed. And she's decided, I'm not going to sit there and get in their face about what they say and what they do. Instead, I'm just going to love on them. And so she has become the cookie lady. When she goes to drop zone, she brings the cookies. And when she forgets, they all get upset uh, because she forgot to bring the cookies. They look out for her. The young guys, you know, and the gals, the tattoos and whatnot, you know, they realize she doesn't use the same kind of language. She doesn't get, you know, plastered on the weekend. And, and they see that difference in her, and they, they love talking to her. And some of them actually have begun to open up about their lives with her. Now, to me, that's what it means to live redemptively. To me, that's, that's what it means to change your culture. Instead of play, being a victim of it or getting angry at it, just go live your life gracefully and peacefully in the midst of it and begin to bring change. How about you right now? Are you... Are you looking at the culture as an opportunity or do you allow the culture to make you feel like you're a victim and you just kind of give in and moan and groan about it? Second principle, Asa chose to do what was pleasing and good in the sight of God. Asa chose to do what was good and pleasing or pleasing and good in the sight of God. God. That was a, a mental choice that he made in his life. How about you? I just love that phrase. And it, it's so simple. He just decided, you know, I'm just going to make sure that everything I do and what we do comes out of our thoughts. I, the qualifier for me is, God, does this please you? Is this good in front of you? Does it matter what anybody else thinks? Does it matter what anybody else says? Is this pleasing? Is this good? And I just think we ought to make that our mantra. I think we ought to hang it on our fridge. I think we ought to get it on our t-shirts. I think we ought to teach it to our kids. I think every time our son, our daughter, our spouse, our friend, someone that we know does something that's pleasing and good in God's sight, they may not even be a believer. I think we just ought to come alongside of them in a very complimentary way and say, Wow, I just saw what you did. Man, that is really pleasing and good in God's sight. You start emphasizing the right things, and it's amazing how people will begin to pursue those right things. How often we point out what our kids and our friends and others do wrong, and I'm not saying you shouldn't. You should call wrong wrong, but how often do we, how often do we look at them and say, that was pleasing and good in God's sight? 
How often before we do something, say something, make a decision, do we ask ourselves in our minds, I'm about to say this, I'm about to do this. Is this pleasing? Is this good in God's sight? One of the things that I've been doing is asking God to slow my brain down. And, and, and help me think that through before I do open my, my mouth, before I do certain things. And you know, when I'm really in tune and I'm listening and I'm asking God, it really helps me filter out what I'm going to say and what I'm going to do. and keeps me oftentimes from getting myself into trouble. In my marriage, in my family, at church, with the staff, with people in the community. What a great filter to run every thing through. Is this going to be good and pleasing to God? Can I challenge you? Can I challenge you for the next week, for the next week, to just make that your prayer and your question that you ask all the time at work, at home, in your relationships? Can I encourage you to look for when people do what is good and right or good and pleasing in God's sight and compliment them for that? And I would love to hear, I would love to hear how it goes and how it transforms your life and your family's life. See, what we have to do is teach our kids they don't have to live under the influence of the world. And God has so much to say to us in his word about how to live a good and pleasing life, financially, romantically, in our relationships, at our job in our decisions, in what we watch, what we view, what we read. I mean, God's got it all here. He tells us how to live a pleasing and good life. It's all in the Word. It's just that oftentimes what happens to us is we look to the world to tell us what should be pleasing and good. We're trying to do what is pleasing and good in the sight of the world. The problem with that is if you're going to live that way, you're going to be a chameleon. You know, chameleons change color to match their environment. I've been there. I've done that. Anybody else? Both campuses? Absolutely. Especially my younger years. You know, when I went to church, I acted like a good church kid. When I was with my friends, I did whatever they did. Party, drink, whatever it was. When I was with certain people, I acted a certain way. When I was with another group, I acted a different way. I wanted to kind of blend in. I wanted to please people. How many of you admit there's, there's something inside of you that wants to please people? It's just a part of us. People at work, people at school, people at church, people in our family. We want their approval. I give you permission to no longer seek their approval, but to seek God's approval. God's approval. Is this good? Is this pleasing to God? If it is, do it. Do it. And stop trying to live for the world. Let's look at another principle. Asa risked being unpopular in his choices. Asa risked being unpopular in his choices. Look look at it again. Verse 3. He removed the foreign altars and the pagan shrines. He smashed the sacred pillars and cut down the Asherah poles. Do you think everybody loved what Asa was doing? I don't think so. I think there are some people who are probably pretty ticked about what he was doing. 
He was ruining their religion. He was ruining their philosophy. He was, he was ruining their sexual immorality. He was taking things down that they worshiped, that they kind of surrounded their life with. Now, I am not suggesting that you and I should, you know, go through our community and through our nation and start chopping down and smashing and destroying things that, that we don't like and we disagree with. That's not what that's all about. But within our sphere of influence... Are we willing, are we willing to take unpopular stands? Are we willing to live our lives and gracefully but lovingly share the truth knowing that it's probably going to offend some people and they may ridicule us, even isolate us? Now, that's hard enough as an adult at work or amongst your friends. I just want to acknowledge how hard that is for our students. Because they face an awful lot of peer pressure to dress a certain way, speak a certain way, act a certain way, do certain things. And they, they take a huge risk when they decide not to go with the culture, when they decide to go counterculture. You know, it used to be cool to be counterculture. Now, you know, it's the opposite. I think we ought to make it cool again. Let's live by God's truth. But understand, if you're going to live by the truth, if you're going to be counter this culture, you are going to experience some ridicule. You're going to experience some, some difficulty. As parents, sometimes when we tell our kids they can't do something or shouldn't do it a certain way, we are going to be ridiculed. How many parents besides me have had that experience? Absolutely. In fact, I think I was watching a show the other day and someone made the comment, if your kid hasn't told you that they hate you, you're not a good parent. And I think they're right. And some of us have been told how much, how bad we are, how, how old-fashioned we are, how weird we are, how we're so out of touch with time. Bring it on! Like I said before, it's not my job to be my kid's best friend. I gotta be the parent. But I cannot ask my kid to take a stand in his or her life if they don't see me taking a stand in my life as well. But you know, it's one thing to uh, talk. It's another thing to, as they say, walk your talk to do what you're saying. So let's look at another principle, Asa. Asa took the necessary steps to remove sin and temptation from his kingdom. You can talk all you want about the truth, about doing the right thing, but are you actually willing to take the steps necessary to remove the things in your life or in your family that get in the way of living a life that is pleasing and good to God? Asa does. He actually removes. He tears these things down. Doesn't care how unpopular he is. He does it because it's the good and right thing to do. Now, he does something else which, is, which I think is rather phenomenal. Um, I, I want to draw your attention to it. If you go over to 1 Kings, for instance, or back to 1 Kings chapter 15, you have another account about Asa's life. And, and this is wild. So if you have a moment, you can turn back there with me. Uh, 1 Kings chapter uh, 15, and I want to read beginning... Oh, at about verse, let's start at verse 11. Now listen to this, all right? 1 Kings 15, verse 11. Asa did what was pleasing in the Lord's sight, as his ancestor David had done. 
He banished the male and female shrine prostitutes from the land and got rid of all the idols his ancestors had made. Now here it is, verse 13. He even deposed his grandmother, Maka, from her position as queen mother because she had made an obscene Asherah pole. He cut down her obscene pole and burned it in the Kidron Valley. That's wild. Hey, Grandma, you're no longer queen mother. You are a bad woman. And I'm taking that idol that you've been worshiping, that obscene idol. You're a bad example, everybody. And I'm cutting it down, and I'm burning it in the Kidron Valley. Now, how popular do you think he was with Grandma when he did that? And can you imagine how people kind of looked at that? This guy's serious. This guy's really serious. Speaking of Asherah poles, I was blown away when I was doing my research for uh, this message. I came across an article. Listen to this. As Asherah poles come into vogue, Jewish group goes on crusade. Um, Permit me to read this to you. It's fascinating. Just, Just listen. Santa Monica, of course, California. Out of fashion for 4,000 years, Asherah poles have shown up in nightclubs and in hip restaurants in Los Angeles and Miami, where patrons consider them trendy, mystical symbols of ancient power. Now, the Asherah poles in the ancient days were like, kind of like what we would think of as totem poles, and they represented Asherah, who was this female goddess and I'm not going to say anything more because you can imagine how when it says they were obscene, they, they were obscene. Quote, people want to connect to something with ancient roots, not some modern religion, says a nightclub owner who added carved modern looking poles to his facility. People rub them to get good luck with their careers and their relationships. But a Jewish watchdog group has begun stealing or cutting the poles down leaving unattractive stumps. It is a little too close to what we went through thousands of years ago when Asher worship meant anti-Semitism, says a rabbi who has organized the effort. If there weren't power in these symbols, people wouldn't be attracted to them, he said. Very interesting. Let me indulge, indulge me a little bit further. As far as anyone can tell, the polls first showed up at a fashion show in West L.A. with a set designer, religious icon, set up religious icons to spice things up. People raved about the sleek Asherah poles so much that local clubs added them to the decor. Poles are often accompanied by a carved bowl at the base where people offer sacrifices of spare change or even jewelry. Now, this is happening in, in modern-day America. Someone said... It represents natural religion, I guess, says Sasha, 23, who dropped a dollar into an Asherah bowl before ordering a blue-colored beverage at the bustling octopus bar. It makes me feel connected to the earth and to spiritual energy. Maybe it will help me be lucky. But if the convert, unnamed, excuse me, but if the covert, unnamed Jewish group has its ways, poles will be destroyed as they are displayed. I know some people see this as a harmless trend, but we don't. The associations are very bad, says another. In that, I mean, that just amazes me. But the more I thought about it, I realized a lot of us have Asherah poles in our lives. They may not look like that, but we've got certain things in our lives that we attend to, addictions, habits, 
that we participate with and in that, that are dishonoring to God and are causing us grief in our life and keeping God from being able to bless us. The media, to me, is one of the greatest astral poles that we have to struggle with in our lives. What do I allow to come through that computer? What do I allow to come through that, that screen into my mind, into my face, into my heart? Video games, uh, you know, illegal drugs, or the abuse of prescription drugs, the abuse of alcohol. I mean, we could go on the kinds of things that many of us who call ourselves believers have allowed to be in our life. They're, they're there in our life, and we access them, and they have a destructive effect, not only on us, but on our kids as well. Some of that stuff needs to be removed. I'm not saying burn the television. I'm not saying get rid of the internet. But I am saying you got to have filters. you got to have a way and have some healthy boundaries around it. And if you are unable to do it, then I am saying get rid of it. Remember what Jesus said, it's better you know, to pluck your eye out than to allow it to continue to cause you to sin. Now, obviously, he was exaggerating, but he was making his point. Don't continue to mess with stuff that's going to damage your life. But I want to take it a step further. Maybe there are some relationships. Remember, Grandma? Maybe there are some relationships in our lives that we need, to, we need to put some tight boundaries around or cut off. And let's be honest, some, some folks have the capacity to be around a, a pretty difficult, challenging crowd and not be influenced by them, but be the influencer on them. Praise God for people like that. But there are others of us who are so easily influenced by the wrong people. And I think as parents, we've got to, we've got to, and I hate to use this term, but we've got to police our kids' relationships, especially these days. And talk to them and help them understand why it is that we don't want them associating with so-and-so and and why you can't go over there and they can't come over here. And let let them call you unpopular. Let them say all the nasty things they want about you. But at least you can sleep at night because you've, you've, establish the guidelines the boundaries there you're protecting them some kids are far more vulnerable than others and each parent has to make a decision about that but if i want god to bless me i have got to be willing to get rid of the asherah poles in my life next principle asa enjoyed the rewards of honoring god by, and experiencing peace, by experiencing peace, even when he faced overwhelming odds. Asa experienced the benefits of peace in his life because he honored God, even when he faced overwhelming odds. And let me give you an example of that. Back in Second Chronicles uh, chapter 14, look what it says in verse 7. It said, Asa told the people of Judah, let us build towns and fortify them with walls, towers, gates, and bars. The land is still ours because we sought the Lord our God, and he has given us peace on every side. So they went ahead with these projects and brought them to completion. King Asa had an army of 300,000 warriors from the tribe of Judah, armed with large shields and spears. He also had an army of 280,000 warriors from the tribe of Benjamin, armed with small shields and bows. Both armies were composed of well-trained fighting men. Now, verse 9, once an Ethiopian named Zerah attacked Judah with an army of a million men and 300 chariots. They advanced to the town of Meresha. So Asa deployed his armies for battle in the valley north of Meresha. Then Asa cried out to the Lord. I mean, the guy's outnumbered. This is a hopeless situation. But he cries out to the Lord, O Lord, 
No one but you can help the powerless against the mighty. Help us, O Lord, our God, for we trust in you alone. It is in your name that we have come against this vast horde. O Lord, you are our God. Do not let mere men prevail against you. In other words, the battle belongs to the Lord. If you keep reading on, it says that the Lord defeated the Ethiopians. Now, how was it that Asa was able to go before God, plead his case, and see God intervene in a miraculous way? It was because he went to God with a clean heart. He went to God with an attitude, I have been living and running my life and kingdom in a way that is pleasing and good in your sight. And God, because I've tried to live the right way and honor you and glorify you, would you help us out? Would you help us out? I think oftentimes our prayers to God go unheard because we regard sin in our life. We are not living consistently a life that is pleasing and good in God's sight. And I have shared that so many times with different people, even people I love and who are close to me. You know, it grieves your heart when you see a child or a friend or a relative make decisions that just bring pain into their life. And you know if they keep making decisions like that, they're going to experience more and more pain. There's nothing more grievous than that. And you're trying to tell them the right thing to do, and they ignore it. And you see them go to the school of consequences. It is so painful, isn't it? Painful. But God says if we'll live the right way, if we'll do the right things, then when we cry out to him, he's going to listen to us. So i got to live clean before God. And I was thinking about um, Psalm 66, verse 16, where David said, Come and listen, all you who fear God, and I will tell you what he did for me. For I cried out to him for help, praising him as I spoke. Sounds just like Asa. If I had not confessed the sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. But God did listen. He paid attention to my prayer. Praise God who did not ignore my prayer and withdraws unfailing love from me. David recognized, I got to be walking with God, doing what's pleasing and right, if I want God to hear me. If there's sin in my life, I need to confess it, get it out of the way, get rid of the astral poles in my life so that God will listen to me. And we need God in these days that we're living in. I mean, we always need him, but especially in these days. And God wants to work in your life and in your family and in our church. God wants to do powerful things, but we've got to clean up. We've got to have a shakedown in our lives. We've got to remove, smash, get rid of the stuff that the culture keeps trying to Pour into our lives the junk food of the culture so that God can bless us and God can ultimately use us. Well, I want to sum everything we set up by quoting the words of a man named Azariah who spoke uh, as God's spirit moved him to King Asa. And I, I, I just think that what he says to him sums up the way we need to live in this culture in order to not just survive the culture, but thrive, thrive in our culture. Chapter 15, verse 1. Then the Spirit of God came upon Azariah, son of Obed, and he went out to meet King Asa as he was returning from the battle. Listen to me, Asa, he shouted. Listen, all you people of Judah and Benjamin. The Lord will stay with you as long as you stay with him. And you can keep reading. But that's where I want to end. The promise is, God is going to stay with you. God is going to stay with your family. 
if you stay with him and please him and live for him and honor him. Yes, we face a great cultural battle today. But we don't have to be cowards. We don't have to be chameleons. We just have to please God by doing what is good and pleasing in his sight. And then even in the midst of the storm, we will know his shalom. Let's pray. Father, I pray and ask that you would help us personally and in our families. Take these truths to heart. Reread the story again. Go over these principles again. And God, help us to activate them in our thought life and in what we do. Help us not to fear the culture, oh God, but please help us to remember we have been called to be salt and light in the culture. We've been called to live redemptively. And that's what we want to do. May all we say and may all we do be pleasing and good in your sight. In Jesus' name, amen.